0: Hello, listeners. This is Lee Price. This is Will Ford from Football365. And you're listening smartly to At At the the Bridge Bridge Pod, Pod, a Chelsea Chelsea FC FC podcast, podcast. although I would describe it as the Chelsea FC podcast. (laughs) What's up, everyone? You're listening to At The Bridge Pod, a Chelsea FC podcast, your number one source for all things Chelsea. This week, the Akra Fakimi saga finally concludes. We have news on Billy Gilmore's new club, and we speak to Italian football expert Jack McCormack all about our Serie A targets. Now, here are your hosts all the way from the UK, Mikey Berth and Chris. Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of At The Bridge Pod. Now, usually I say I'm your host, Mikey, and I'm joined, as always, by my two co-hosts unfortunately berth is uh snowed under he can't uh, make it today but i've got chris i've got chris i've got one of the two chris's how are we doing chris
1: i'm good uh feel like i've got to step up my game in the absence of birth he's like a, a big injury miss for us oh, yes. to so see how our squad copes with his yeah. absence
0: yeah we're, we're the danny Drinkwater water uh, pair pairing here we're gonna we're having to step up our games to uh to make it feel like you know he's still he's still here he, you know he'll be listening he'll be listening to it um apparently the listeners want to hear more about our personal lives obviously i'm going to leave this till next week because yeah you know we, we need we both can share that and we might have some stuff going on we don't know we'll see we'll see uh but with that we're going to head straight into the newsroom and see what the latest is at stamford bridge So, we dropped a bombshell that we're just two people today. Uh, UEFA decided to drop a bombshell on us all yesterday with the news that
1: away goals have been scrapped. What are your thoughts on this? I like it. i've 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 been in support of getting rid of away goals for a long time. Um, I always thought it was an unfair way to decide a game just because one team scored a goal in a different stadium. I, I understood the premise behind it that it was meant to get attacking more attacking football from away sides, but I thought it was counterproductive because Mm. you did have away teams attack more, but you had home teams attack less because conceding a goal at home was like conceding two. So I've seen a lot of negativity around it, though, from people on Twitter saying that they reckon the games are going to be more boring now, but I just think you'll just have it the other way now where home teams will attack and away teams will defend rather than away teams attacking and home teams defending.
0: Yeah, I mean... On one hand, it would have changed history in that horrific Barcelona game that ended 1-1. I don't think so, Mr. Iniesta. Extra time, we would have gone. Uh, 2015, it happened again. Knocked out by PSG on away goals. Uh, On the other hand, you have obviously the Monaco beating Man City and, you know, Lucas taking Spurs to the Champions League final against Ajax. I I can see both sides, but you're spot on. I think back to when... The Milan clubs played one another at the San Siro and one of, I think it was AC Milan, went through on away goals, yet both were played in the same stadium. Yeah, exactly. I know it doesn't happen often that grounds are shared, uh, but when you think about it in that perspective, you think, (laughs) "Okay, we went out just because we were playing officially away. Yeah, I I think it's going to be, it's going to cause debate. I think they're going to stick with it. UEFA don't usually back down. Um, We'll see. We'll see how it plays out. Um, Hopefully in our favour, considering the misdemeanours we've had with uh, away goals in the past. The group stage of the Euros have concluded as well. Uh, It's been memorable for many reasons, some good, some bad. What were your personal highlights so far now the group stages have concluded?
1: Uh, Not a lot on England's point of view, if I'm honest. Uh, (laughs) That was a shocking game. Yeah, oh, that, the second half, especially, was... Zero XG. <laughs> yeah, it, it was because no team really wanted to win the group, did they? Let's be honest. Mm. So Czech Republic was quite happy to lose and England was quite happy to sit on the 1-0. So the second half was a waste of time. We might as well have just not bothered and just called the game at half-time and saved us all 45 minutes of our life. Yeah. But there has been some cracking games. Um, Holland-Ukraine... Was a cracking game. That was a great opening game for that group. Uh, Germany Portugal was another great game. Mm. Uh, so, all the Italy games, I think, have been really enjoyable. I think the the way they've played with so much intensity in their game has been really good to watch.
0: I think to be fair, Hungary and Germany
1: was a pretty good way to close the group stage out. Yeah, I mean well, that, that was much that, better. God. I watched um, Germany Hungary instead of watching France
0: Portugal. Yeah, good choice. I mean, that game was so, it was refereeing decisions over and over, and some people would say they weren't penalties. Some would they weren't penalties. They, there was some questionable decisions there. The, the highlight from that game is obviously Ronaldo tying the all-time goal-scoring record. Which fair play, love him, love him. He's he's achieving greatness at this tournament, and I wouldn't. He's going to beat that record. And oh, saying that, actually, Belgium they're no pushovers, so it'd be interesting on that. Uh, yeah. I loved, I loved the car that brought out the ball in the opening game. Yeah, that. Uh, that needs to happen more often. Uh, Turkey showcasing exactly what I said in the predictions as well. Very good or absolutely bloody dreadful, and they're of course the latter. Uh, so that's half a point I think so far. But yeah, l- looking at it from a Chelsea view, who do you think has been the standout Chelsea
1: performer? Performers? Uh, it's tough oh. that because. Giroud hasn't really played for France, whereas normally you would expect him, if you could go on the last tournament, then he was incredible for France. He, he didn't mm. score, but he was really important to the way they played. Yeah. I think Mason Mount's done well in the England games that he played. Obviously, he missed the, the Czech Republic one, but yeah, Gilmore had a good game against England. But I, I don't know. I, I'd probably say no Chelsea player at the minute has stood out. Probably the most impressive one has actually been Havertz for Germany. Oh god, yeah, I've got him.
0: I've got him down on here. I mean, that that performance for Germany against Portugal on Saturday was yeah. outstanding. I mean, that was exactly the kind of Kai Havertz we know and we obviously saw in Leverkusen, and we're hoping it will be next season will be his hitting the ground even more so running. Um, Billy Gilmore, yeah, man of the match against England on his first yeah. international start. Uh, oh, that's amazing. He just keeps. Surprising everyone. He really does. It's a shame he missed the final group game with COVID, obviously. Um, Andreas Christensen's wonder strike against Russia. You know, we I, I wrote down here, we found our new striker. I mean, get aboard that hype train. Genuinely, though, not just the goal, but his performance in that game was outstanding. 100% tackle success rate, eight ball recoveries, seven of eight aerial duels won. Not single player dribble past him. And some people go, oh, but hey, how long did Virgil van Dijk have a record similar to that? And everybody went on about it. Uh, he Just file him under the Danish Maldini. I mean, he was amazing. And I'm so glad that he's had a revival under Tuchel because he's showing it,
1: showing it at international level. I don't know what you think on him. Yeah, I think he's um, his sort of improvement has been incredible, really. I think he's one of those players where he needs confidence. Um Like most players do, but also he's he needs a good tactical setup, I think. He needs clear instructions of what his game is, what's expected of him. And I think that's what he gets under Tuckle. And he seems to be getting that at at international level as well. And that's when he plays best. You know, we all remember how much hype was around him when he first came into the team under Conte. Mm. And again, it was another very tactically astute manager who gave him clear instructions and he thrived. And then, under different managers, he sort of fell away if they're not that, not that sort of manager. So, I think that's the key to getting the best out of Christensen. It's it's the tactical setup.
0: Yeah. Oh God. Hundred percent. I saw many people on social media saying that they felt that the Chelsea players were dominating the Euros. I mean, obviously, I said about Kai, um, Giorgino, He's been, I think, almost under the radar. He's been helping. He's helped Italy top the group three wins from three. He's been quite solid and yet not many are mentioning
1: that. I, have you, do you feel that way or do you feel it's it's fair to not talk too much about him? No, to be fair, now you've brought him up, he's completely slipped my mind. And I think it's because... Exactly. People are seeming to miss that how good he's been. I think it's because he doesn't do anything spectacular in a game. So if you're only watching highlights, for example, you're not really going to see him because he's not ever really involved in any goals. But... He's almost had three flawless performances now for Italy, where he's mm-hmm. done absolutely nothing wrong. Every time I've watched Italy, he's he's been very solid on the ball, as we all know. But defensively, he's actually been really good as well. In a I know people have been saying the the sort of Chelsea fans who don't like Jorginho still have this weird obsession with him not being good enough. They've been saying that the only reason why we play three at the back is to Sort of cover over his deficiencies, but Italy have been playing four three three, and he's looked superb. So yeah. I don't. I think it's time really to throw that out the window now. Giorgino, he has his weaknesses, as all players do, but he showed for really he showed a Chelsea under Sari in a in a four three three system, and he showed now under Tuckle in a three four three system, and then again at international level in the four three three that he's just a he's just a good player who's good at what he does. And that's what people seem to forget. They want players to be good at everything, but it's rare that you get those players. Jorginho is very good. I'd say one of the best at what he does. So you can't yeah. then throw back in his face the things that he can't do. It'd be like asking Angolo Kante to control the tempo of a game with his passing. That's not yeah, what he's of course. good at. I mean, so,
0: Billy. yeah, you say players that control tempo. Billy Gilmore, you know, he's trending right now. Both, of course, obviously, COVID diagnosis, but his performance against Scotland, as I mentioned, against for Scotland, as I mentioned earlier, something I wanted, like us as a group, obviously we can't, uh, discuss this week. I mean, if you remove the COVID part from the equation, he's had one amazing year so far. I say that because obviously if I say he's had an amazing year, someone's going to say, well, he's ill. Yeah, I know. So that's why I'm removing that from it. But he gets into, obviously, he gets into the Chelsea team. He shows the fans and Thomas Tuchel what he has the potential to achieve. He makes his international debut in the Euros. He's man of the match against England. Glenn Hoddle, you know, he said this week, Billy Gilmore had a good game. There's still more to come. It was his first game. He was excellent. He can only grow and get better. He's not really match fit. So he's going to get better and he keeps the ball well Such a young for such a, a young player. And he showed a lot of maturity. And he's instantly the replacement for Jorginho at Chelsea. They won't have to look in the market for someone because he's already there. What are your thoughts on his development right now? And obviously, I think even more so because of this strong talk about him heading to Norwich on a loan
1: move. Well, I agree with what um, what Glenn Hoddle said about he's Jorginho's direct replacement at Chelsea and we wouldn't have to dip in the market. I agree with that completely. I, yeah, I, I, same. Do think, I do think he's probably still a year away from from replacing Jorginho. I think Jorginho's got the this season left in terms of being that starting player. The low move, I'm, I'm a little bit torn because he will, if he goes to Norwich or, or another Premier League club and was guaranteed game time there, so play in, week in, week out, that's only going to be good for his development. Mm. But then at the same time, it could be another Purdue situation, for example. Yeah. Could, he could go to Norwich. They could really struggle in the Premier League. He's in and out of the team. What's he going to get out of that? If he's in a relegation battle, and he's, because of that, managers always like to go for more experienced players. He he could be in and out of the side. So we would have to be careful with that. It might be best, although his game time would be limited at Chelsea, even in the coming season, it might be best to do what Man City did with Phil Foden. I was
0: just thinking
1: that. Learning off, learning off Jorginho, off Kovacic, yeah. off Kante. You know, he, he might get more from that. Environment than going to a relegation scrap with Norwich, which I still think they are most likely to be in.
0: Yeah, I, there's a lot of talk that the club like Daniel Farke and how he produces the football and everything else. Fair Play does produce good football, and obviously, now you're looking at Buendia's gone, they've brought in Bremen's, Rashika, they're counting Todd Cantwell, Puki and Co. It's a nice place to learn, I can't argue. There was some rumour of a return to Rangers. Some people might wonder what, he, what I mean by return. We signed him for £500,000 when he, after he came through their academy. So just putting cards on the table there. But apparently we want him to stay in the Premier League. Makes a lot of sense because obviously the competitive nature of both leagues. Sorry, Scotland fans, but it, it's kind of true. The Premier League is more competitive than Scotland. Uh, we'll have to wait and see on that. Um, I'll do a quick transfer roundup. You can guess what was the talking point. Uh Hakimi yet again uh originally when i wrote this the latest was inter didn't want counterparts we'd offered alonso we hadn't we had uh, apparently i've just literally seen it on twitter that it looks like he's he's done he's gone to psg for 70 million euros um contract to 2026 he'll be eight million a year whatever that is broken down um i mean that fee kept going up and up and up and my personal view before i ask yourself chris uh do we we I'm kind of okay with him not joining because we need to focus on more important positions to strengthen, a.k.a. our forward line, a.k.a. a goal scorer. Any quick thoughts? Because I'm sure everyone's sort of like, oh, me again, but go
1: ahead. Uh, I'm not devastated that he, he hasn't gone. It's not one of those concerts where you feel like we've really missed out, but yeah. at the same time, I do think it's as we spoke about, I think it was last week, it is it is still a position where I think we do need strengthening with ASP aging, not mm-hmm. really Reese James not really fitting the profile of a wing back. My main concern is I hope we don't get a drama That could come back to my arse.
0: You're not about I like him. He's a he's a big guy. He's he's my body ambition for sure. But what is well, it about him that you're just not
1: keen on? He's he's one of those players where I think if he wasn't quick. Would he be playing at this level? And I think not. There's been plenty of them players in the past where they rely so heavily on just being quick. And I think that's what everyone talks about with him. His end product is minimal at best. It's getting better, but, you know, have we got time to be working with someone who could take two and three years to get better? Probably not. Um, I just, he runs and runs but then it's, there's nothing on the end of it. And we've got a lot of them players already. So I just don't think he improves our squad. Uh, I would much prefer people are going to think it's sort of jumping on the bandwagon and on the hype again. But if you remember, I'm pretty sure it was last year during the summer when we was doing transfer targets or s- something on the pod. And I brought up then uh, Denzel Dumfries from PSV. Oh, I do remember I brought- that. I brought him up a year ago, and he showed now at this Euros how he's developed, mm-hmm. and I think he could be a really good option to go for. He's he'll be a lot cheaper. He'll he's able to come in and be a first team player, but probably happy to accept a rotation role at a club like ours coming yeah. from Holland. So I think he'd be a better option than Traoré, who, uh, like I said, I just think he's a speed merchant and nothing more.
0: I, I it's. I mean, a lot of people are going to say, "Here we go, another player who's had a good tournament." You know, it happens. Every time there's a tournament, there's a player that will stand out and gets a big move. Um, obviously, I think back to 08, uh, Pavlyuchenko, Andrei Arshavin, they were amazing at that, Euros. Obviously, we know what happened with Spain, but you think, wow, and they got big moves. Um, be interesting as well for Qatar, the World Cup, because obviously that's going to be very interesting since it's at Christmas and then you've got the January window and you think, will big moves happen? Uh, I, I don't know. That's going to be very interesting. Mm, we'll see on that. Um, Yeah, I'm not too gutted about Hakimi. Do I think we'll get Traore? I don't know. If Tuchel likes him. It, you never know. It's transfer season. It's it's ridiculous. The one thing I want to bring up before we head into uh, the main part of the show, I saw on social media some fans, I'm not painting everyone, some, lost their absolute mind that Hakimi deal had, had been agreed with PSG and not, oh, look at the club's doing all business and we're not. Man City have got Grealish and Kane. Man City have not got Grealish and Kane. They have apparently made a bid for Grealish. We don't know if that's true. They have bid for Harry Kane. We know that is true. But that, that, that move's been rejected. Just because they've made a bid does not instantly mean they're going to get them players. But I also understand where the fans come from and they say it shows ambition. It does. But I did say this on social earlier today. Where, okay, we like to conduct our business quite close to our chest, privately. So I put out... Do you remember when we were linked with Hakim Ziyech, Timo Werner and Christian Pulisic? No, you don't, because we kept it quiet and then we flipped the switch and within 24 hours there was a slight rumour and it was confirmed. Hakim Ziyech was very out of the blue as we remember. I mean, what do you think on it? Do you think it's just typical social media reaction where it's just knee-jerk going, just do something?
1: Yeah, and I think that's the problem with fans. They they almost want anybody signed because they like the idea of a new sign-in, but then you know four to six months down the line when that player hasn't worked out they'll be the same people who are turning on the board saying what did you sign him for you know it's it's one of them I, i've this during the summer there's always rumors going around and you never know what to believe you know uh, some really reliable sources can say one thing and then it just never happens because th- what people don't realize is it's not like buying a player on fifa you i don't know i know Make one bid, and then Twelve hours later, meet with the player and his agent, sign a contract, and it's done. It it doesn't work like that in the real world. So, transfer dealings do take time. Uh, I'm not overly worried. I, I'll be more worried if we get to a few weeks after the Euros and we haven't made any progress with a, a centre forward. That's the main the main problem I'll have then. But until then, I'm not I'm not that fussed to be honest. Um, let all the rumours go around and. Clubs rush in and, and buy players when you don't know whether those dealings are going to happen or whether they're going to work out. Like you said, our club they they do a lot behind the scenes without these sort of leaks happening. So, yeah. I, I, like I said, I won't be worried until we're getting towards the start of the season and we haven't signed anyone.
0: Yeah, that's exactly how I feel. It's I don't like the approach of do something, anything. I mean, there's a there's a very popular meme where to guy poking some uh, go and do something. Yeah. But what if we did something and we got Danny Drinkwater? We did something and got a very injured Falcao. Let's calm down. It is June. It's the end of June, I know. But there's a tournament going on. If our targets are at this tournament, I hear people screaming, Haaland's not at the tournament. That is true. But a lot of players don't move within a tournament if they're obviously in it. They just don't. It just, and especially now you've got the COVID. I, just, I think overall it just doesn't happen. I think you are spot on where if we're a couple of weeks before the start of the season, yeah, you can start to get concerned. I'd be concerned because you, you do think, well, what's going on here? This, is, this isn't this is right. But I think the club are clearly working on things. I've seen very more trustworthy sources. I bring up Cy Phillips. Everyone knows that name within the Chelsea bubble. Um, I trust him with his certain tweets and I trust other top sources, obviously ones from The Athletic and all that. Let's just calm down and not just completely lose our minds that we've missed out on Hakimi. Because I'm pretty sure, let's say in a month or two, if we'd signed Hakimi, but we spent all our money on him, and we couldn't afford a Haaland or a Lukaku, people wouldn't all of a sudden be like, yeah, I'm glad we made that deal within the first month of the window. Let's calm down, and let's see how it goes. So this week, uh, I had a chance to sit down and chat with our Serie A expert, Jack McCormack, whose Twitter is at Metzala8. To talk, yes, all things Akraf I had to mention him because it was the talk of the town. Uh, Romelu Lukaku and some Serie talent we should be keeping an eye on. I'm joined now by, i like to hope, our new residential Serie A expert, Jack McCormack. How are you doing today? Uh, doing well,
2: thanks for asking.
0: Not a problem. Uh, I've been enjoying your stuff. I've read a few of your articles. Very good stuff. And uh, I'll be sure to tweet some of them out, retweet them on the, uh, the channel. So, in recent weeks, obviously, Chelsea have been linked with a fair few players from the Serie A, so it felt appropriate to call in the Cavalry, aka yourself, to give us and the listeners some much more needed insight into our targets and also maybe one or two hidden gems we should be keeping an eye on over in Italy. Um, We'll kick it off with Akra Fakimi. Will he? Won't he? We we may even end up in Paris with PSG. It's... It's silly season with transfers, but what are your thoughts on the Moroccan international, and what do you think he could bring to Chelsea? Um, I think Hakimi possesses an incredible
2: threat in behind, and is like a key component of many Inter's automatisms this season, at least using his threat, or at least the potential threat he has in behind. Uh, For example, Inter build primarily around Lukaku, who likes to locate himself on the right side, so having a runner off Lukaku in that regard helps a lot. It's a common well theme for them is to use like an up, back, and through sequence, and having pace from wing back there is very important. So they'll go up to Lukaku, then back to centre midfielder, and then go through the space. Um, Lukaku's created, so there's potential for at least at Chelsea, I can envision that happening maybe with Kai Havertz, who oh, he isn't like Lukaku, but he has similarly has good hold up play, and then he can connect with someone like Cantillo, Drogba, who can play the through ball to Hukimi. So it's there's also positive externalities which come from that, which is just, it can drag defenders as well because he has the potential threat. So from that, the striker gets more space in between the lines if the defender decides to track the run. So he's a very useful asset for ver- vertically stretching opponents which could has like the concrete effects of a through ball in behind or the, the more covert effects of occupying the attention of defenders and generating more time for the ball carrier.
0: Yeah, I um, mean seeing him i'll just interrupt quickly i saw when i saw him at um Dortmund he was he was so dynamic and powerful as a fullback but he also had that technical ability and his his, his long accurate passing was absolutely incredible from defense
2: yeah no he's technically he's wonderful um in fact tra- the only real issues i guess people have with him is defensively but even then i think he's quite good as a wingback because he's capable of jumping out quite quickly and a lot of teams look to use the touchline as an extra defender. So mm. if you're playing, well, interplay 3 5 two, so he's quite isolated on the flanks. But even the way Chelsea press, they're quite centrally compact. So having a wing-back who can jump out quite quickly to try and isolate, but usually the opposition's full-back, maybe winger, is really quite a useful asset. So having his acceleration and pace defensively helps a lot, especially with
0: them charging forward so often. Yeah, I mean, he appears obviously so versatile. Do you, what do you think is his best position? Is it further up the field in that winger come forward role or further back in the right wing back role? Because obviously you mentioned his defensive uh, shortcomings.
2: Um, I think his best assets are his off the ball movement and I guess the actualization of those threats through the movement. And I think that's best suited to being a wing back because if he plays wingers, there's less room for connection off the ball. It's more oriented around being able to cut inside, dribble, things like that. And while he is perfectly capable of doing that. I feel particularly at the top level, or well at Chelsea's level, you want someone who's a bit more accomplished and a bit probably a bit more of a goal threat from a, a winger type position than Hakimi. And that right back I just think what his offensive threats are a bit curtailed. So while he's perfectly capable of playing there, I feel it's not advantageous and without greater cover defensively, well he just has more responsibility, so I'd struggle to justify playing him right back over, say, Rhys James mm. or playing him winger over any other, your myriad of attackers but I think wing-back's wing, wing back's the perfect position for him because it takes advantage of his ability to run into space and well, wing-backs get more space than almost any other player because wingers are usually too advanced to, to get this similar sort of space and to make similar types of runs off the ball because they don't get the time to generate uh, the attention of the ball carrier and fullbacks have a greater defensive responsibility. So I'd say wing-back is perfectly suited.
0: Mm. I mean, it's certainly not the Inter Milan target we expected to be so all-in for. Obviously, that is a a former Blue who... I I wish we'd never let him go, but (laughs) it is what it is when it comes to our club. But Romelu Lukaku, it's safe to say since he joined Inter, he's been an absolute phenomenon. I mean, he's taken that lead by storm. He helped guide Inter to the title... How do you think his game changed over in Italy compared to when he was in England? Uh, his hold-up play has improved considerably. Um, there was well, the
2: stories kind of circulating around um, Italy and that Andrea Renocchio, um six foot five mm, centre-back yes. printer in training, was tasked to constantly mark him tight to try and help him uh, against like bigger centre-backs against backwards pressure. So his ability to consistently win duels in when tightly marked is. Extremely valuable because it can provide a stable launching pad for patterns of play that, well, as Chelsea fans, you all know that Antonio Conte loves. So his movement, though, is also more dynamic than a traditional, like, target man hold up player. So having the capacity to run in behind, spin players, run into space, play balls, um, yeah, it's passing range. I think it's been displayed better at Inter because they like to overload the right flank, so that leaves the left flank underloaded. So Lukaku is usually the connecting man to play the switching ball. To the wing-back, usually Ivan Perisic. But again, Chelsea playing a back three, similar dynamics can occur there. So, although I think he did display that in the Premier League, same with his hold-up play, it's just, it's got significantly better. And I think Conte, well, Lukaku has an incredible work ethic, but I think Conte, well, he wanted them when he was at Chelsea, and he obviously had an idea of what sort of player he could become, and it's actualized well. So, yeah, I think just that ability to win duels Consistently, along with his incredible goal scoring. Well, it just allows for the creation of connections in between the lines through holding up players. And there's been only been two defenders I can remember this season who have held themselves up well against them, and that is Giorgio Chilini and Matthias Delict, who are both quite strong players themselves. And then they Lukaku's quicker than them as well, so you get a different sort of advantage when he's against a bulkier centre back. So, you yeah, know, I just think I'd say he's improved all around, but most potently in
0: his hold-up play. Yeah, I mean totally agree. I mean, I saw a joke going around that Ranocchia only got his new contract just to train Lukaku, so <laughs> it worked out well for him with uh, yeah. the whole team. Um, do you think there is any realistic chance he does head back to the bridge, or do you think he's going to be adamant and stay in Milan? Um, I've heard that he's had talks with new
2: Intercoach Simone and Zaghi, and at least, I think, it seems that he's still central to their plans uh, for raising the finances, I think Hikimi and then probably a couple of bench players would be sufficient. So I guess provided he's happy in Milan, I don't think he'll leave. And by all accounts he seems to be quite content, even though they're losing Hikimi.
0: Yeah, he does seem so settled over there. Um when it when it comes to the Italian national side, they've obviously got a fair amount of talent and they're showcasing exactly how talented they are at Euro twenty twenty. Manuel Locatelli, currently the one we're all keeping an eye on. Apparently we've been scouting him for a while. This is certainly out of the blue for me. But um, what do you think he could bring to Chelsea if we are to carry out that uh, from scouting to actually signing him? Um, I guess to use a reference point, Locatelli
2: reminds me quite a lot of Matic in that he's very composed on the ball, has a good passing range, but doesn't unnecessarily try long passes and is quite assured defensively. But at the same time can be caught, caught behind play and is quite lethargic. Off the ball, so you can't expect too much dynamism from him. I say that knowing he scored well, the two goals for Italy, so he's on op- his deficiencies are less obvious than Matic's, but they're similar in what they provide. I think one of his greatest assets is his speed of thought and that he's able to like, quickly process unfolding actions and provide a possession solution, knowing when to pivot, when to circulate quickly, not dwelling on the ball. That's what sort I of think. So, I'm unsure. The extent to which I'd call him a necessity or anything, as you already have Jorginho, who provides much of what he does in possession the quick circulation, line breaking passes like even the organizational aspect. Jorginho is good there, and Canty and Kovacic provide quite good partners and offer a good alternative. So, there's quite a nice dynamic in there. You probably need, and even Billy Gilmour's coming through as well, he played phenomenally against England. So, I don't know the extent to which he'd be a necessary, he'd be a nice player to have in and around, but I imagine he'd want to be like a guaranteed starter at where he'd move,
0: and I'm unsure he'd get that at Chelsea. Mm. I, I mean, he obviously left Milan to go to Sassuolo after Gattuso, sort of viewed him more as a backup player. Uh, I mean, when you look at back then, it was, I think, for Biglia and Montalivo, which, in hindsight, probably doesn't look too good on Milan. But no, yeah, it's... Uh, it, yeah, that was probably Milan during their uh ups, upside-down sort of bad <laughs> management sessions, but... um uh, do you think he would actually suit Chelsea? I mean, you're, you're spot on when you say Gilmore because of that deep-line playmaker role. You wouldn't need Giorgino or and Locatelli in the same squad. It wouldn't work. And Obviously, we've got Kante as well. I, I think it would probably be more likely if Jorginho was to go. I think that's when the Locatelli move potential could happen.
2: Yeah, no, I agree with you. If Jorginho left, I would. I think he'd be a great signing, yeah. It's just, it seems unnecessary to have, well, Jorginho... Gilmore and Locatelli. I think having mm-hmm. two of that type of profile is useful, especially with Gilmore just coming through, so he probably won't be a guaranteed starter yet. He'll have like a couple of seasons of being eased in at the team. But yeah, I think you definitely have a very good player on your hands there. And Jorginho's yeah. Ger- off the top of my head, maybe 27, 28. So by the time Jorginho's hitting about 30, you'll have a ready-made replacement who's will be of exceptional quality in Gilmore. I have a vested
0: interest there of being Scottish as well, so <laughs> we can hope for the best. Yeah, he's a top, top talent. I mean, 20 years old and getting man of the match in his first Scotland start, it's, it's it's amazing. He just, he's hes an amazing young lad. Um, three big names, obviously, and three of our targets, but there's always so many that slip under our, our radar of the average fan. Who do you think are the hidden gems that we should be keeping an eye on who deserve a chance at, say, not just Chelsea, but a top Premier League club soon?
2: Um, I like Manuel Lazzari from Lazio. He reminds me of almost like a, substitute Hakimi. He's very similar in almost every aspect, which is slightly worse in almost every <laughs> regard. But they use Lazari really similarly to how um, Inter use Hakimi in that he's really good off the ball. I was surprised to see he wasn't called up for the Italian national team. I think if they played a back five, they most definitely would. So yeah, I like Lazari and I think any team looking at Hakimi but doesn't have the money, they could maybe go down to Lazari. Even Inter could maybe, or having Simone Inzaghi as former coach could maybe go in, but I think other teams in the Premier League playing a back five. Arsenal, if they look to move back to that. It all depends. Managerially at Spurs, we don't really know what's happening, but Sergio and Doherty aren't the best. So I think he'd be a good option for any club looking for an offensive wing-back type player. Um, Christian Romero of Atalanta, I'm a big fan of him. He's one of the most aggressive centre-backs I've ever seen. He really likes to come out in duels and just like fly into tackles. But So he's a bit it be true, but I'd also say he's one of the best centre-backs in Serie A this season because he really suits playing in Atlanta's man-oriented back three. So I think, again, if you're playing a back three, having an aggressive wide centre-back it's quite important. You guys have it with Rudiger. Yeah. So I feel, as Piloqueta, um, I don't know how long you guys think he'll last. I, saying that, if you get Hakimi, you'll probably play Reese James centre-back. So you possibly don't need a right centre-back, but I feel like Christian Romero... I've even seen links to Man United as well. So I think he's got a big future. And I guess staying on Sassuolo's theme and somewhat Man United team is Hamed Junior Traore, who is, well, Diallo's. I, I don't know exactly the connection because of the controversy there, but at least the nominal brothers. Um, He plays for Sassuolo. He's good at interpreting space, really quite good in between the lines. So I think he's suited to either playing wide on a 3-4-3 or like number 10 in a 4-2-3-1. So I feel he is... Probably not drew a big move
0: this summer, but it's definitely a name to look out for. Yeah, for sure. I mean, there is one... You mentioned, obviously, Lazio. That, that's a final quick question I want to put in. Obviously, since appointing Maurizio Sari, they've been linked with Kepa and Loftus-Cheek. <laughs> Loftus-Cheek, as well, at time of recording, there was um, a link with Inter Milan, if we want to put him in that deal for Hakimi. Uh, if those loan deals were to happen, how do you feel they would do in Serie A? Do you think they'd thrive or would they struggle? Um... Seria, there's a, a lot
2: greater emphasis on goalkeepers playing the ball in Serie A. They get a lot more time because teams, well, one, like to man orient in, in their press a bit more. So they ignore the keeper and focus more on the centre backs and full backs. It's either that or they sit off to a greater extent. So that could possibly suit Kepa because he's all right on the ball. It's I, I don't know statistically, like shot volume differences, at least anecdotally. I don't think he'd face less shots. It may be a, a different environment could possibly help him because I don't know what. Issues are going on there because I can't. I struggle to fathom that you spent 72 million on a keeper who's performed as poorly as he <laughs> yeah, has. So true. I guess even that price tag, I think surely there must be some like potential in there, and it's just everything's went poorly at Chelsea. And Loftus Chic, I think I'm assuming he'd play at least if he went to Lazio, similarly to where Serge, Serge Milinkovic Savage plays. Um, he's quite a good ball progressor, so I feel like. Um, at least Lazio under Simona and Zagy and, well, Sarri himself quite likes vertical play to stretch in between the lines while vertically. So players have a greater amount of space to run into. And there's probably fewer physical midfielders in Serie A that could like hold him up in, in a duel. So I feel like he'd possibly be suited to the environment. Whether he, I don't think he'd get a game over malinkovic Savage if he went to Lazio. So it's potentially that's like, contingent on malinkovic Savage leaving. But I feel... Especially for care, it could maybe a good refresher.
0: Yeah, uh, well, we—I mean, obviously, we paid the release fee to Bill Bow. That's kind of how they work, you know. Yeah. We we paid it. Whether he's a seventy million pound keeper, we're still unsure. It's still surprising about how poor he really was. We've lost his cheek, obviously, coming back from that awful Achilles injury. He showed so much potential and promise, and we still sort of hope. But you know, he turns twenty-six in January of next year, and you think that if this loan—if he does obviously go out on loan. When is it going to happen? So you'd like to hope that maybe the Serie would be a bit more kinder to him and he could adapt. We'd have to see. We'd love to see him come good because obviously he's an academy product. But fingers crossed. We'll see. We'll keep an eye on that one. Um, It's been an absolute pleasure having you on. But before we end, where can everyone find you on social media?
2: Um, I'm at Mazality on Twitter. That's where I'll tweet out my articles and stuff. Um, If you want to be more direct, um, it's just breaking the lines and typing at at Mazzali and you'll find everything I've written.
0: So that was Jack McCormack who gave us some real insight into our Serie A targets as well as if a move to Lazio would be wise for Kepa and Loftus-Cheek. Now, before we end, um, what are your personal thoughts, Chris, on the potential loan deals that we've been hearing about with
1: Kepa and RLC to the Serie A? Uh, To be honest, I think for both of them, Kepa especially, Needs to get away and play. And regardless of where that is, it's better than just being back up. A £75 million goalkeeper as your backup just makes no sense at all. Do you, you think
0: know? that's because it's just to up his resale value? Because I can't see him ever being our number one. Yeah, that's all it is. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a shame because he's a human being, you know, and I want him to do well because, you know, it's the dream job being a football star. We all want to do that. But it does feel like that that ship sailed and he's never going to be our number one.
1: No, I think, well, it's win-win for the club, isn't it, really? When you think about it, he can... A low move to Lazio isn't going to hurt his value. His, His value is pretty much at rock bottom now. So, if he went to Lazio and he didn't do so well, we're not really going to lose anything. If he went to Lazio and was absolutely outstanding, amazing, won Serie A, goalkeeper of the season, he can come back in the summer and we can look at him again and think, oh, he's improved on this, he's improved on that, maybe he'll be okay. Or he's now worth 20, 30 million more than he was when he went. So it's win-win for the club. So that move makes sense. And really, Loftus cheat the same. I think he's, people always say it's better to stay in the Premier League, but he's, he's had a Premier League loan to Crystal Palace where he actually did well, but then nothing really come of it in terms of getting into Chelsea first team or securing a move away. He's had a low move to Fulham, where again, he did okay, but it doesn't seem to have helped his first team chances that much. And I don't see loads of clubs clambering to sign him on a permanent deal. So again, maybe the change of scenery would be good for for Loftus-Cheek as well. Go and learn a new way of playing. Go and play some games in. What is still a really competitive league, CBR gets a lot of bad press about being a a terrible league. But for me, CBR is more competitive than... Than the Bundesliga, and it's more competitive than the French league, so I don't really understand where this this bad publicity for for CBR comes from. Players will learn a lot more over there than they would do in, say, the Bundesliga at the moment, yeah. or in the French league. So for Loftus-Cheek, I would say it would probably be a good move for him as well.
0: Yeah, I, I mean, with Kepper, I, I mean, we I, I love to use transfer market as a value, as a just as a general source of stats and information. Kepa's current market value is £11.7 million, which is, um, if we sold him, oh, oh, that's a painful kick in the uh, the old uh, meat and two veg. So we definitely have to get that resale value up. We do. I mean, it's going to be getting... I'm surprised that Lazio have sought out this move because Sarri, I am really surprised, especially after the League Cup final. It's, I don't know, but he does play the kind of Sarri ball, as we used to call it. And you're right. It's a very competitive league. I know you could say Inter walked it, but they haven't got Conte, and we don't know how this how Simeone Inzaghi is going to do. He might, and they're going to have got to sell players, and will Lukaku as well as Hakimi leave? Who knows? AC Milan are obviously back to their decent best, you could say, and they've got Pioli in charge. You've got Atalanta under Gasparini, who's absolutely outstanding, and Juventus have got Allegri back. Napoli, I don't know who the Napoli manager is because they've got Rilouca Tuso, and I'm not too sure. i have to Google that in a second. Roma got Mourinho. It's going to be a
1: very competitive league next season. Yeah, exactly. And even the this, even this season just gone, Inter, Inter did end up winning the, the league comfortably. But that was sort of the last portion of the season where they ran away with it when other teams started to fall away a bit. But in and up until the sort of midway point of the season, it was still quite close. Yeah. Was, oh, with Milan, was, yeah. Yeah, there was talks about, you know, was Inter going to throw it away again? And AC and Milan was still up there. And then people were still looking at Juventus, whether they could make a comeback, because they was only six points off the top at one point, I think. So, you know, the, the, and... You do get very competitive games down there. I mean, last season, some of the some of the worst teams in Serie A was was Parma and Crotone. and I watched a few of their games against the top sides, and they gave them a real game. Mm. You know, there was, four, there was four twos, there was four threes. So there's there's no gimme. It's very similar to the Premier League. It's a lesser standard, but in terms of competitiveness from the top to the bottom, it's not too far off the Premier League.
0: Yeah, I totally agree. Um for the listeners screaming, it is Luciano Spalletti, who's a, a, he's a Serie A two-time coach of the year winner. So he, he's, a, he's a good manager. I, I like to think he is. And I'm, I don't know too much on him. But, I mean, on RLC, so for Loftus Chief, this is his final chance for me. You know, he turns 26 soon and he's no up-and-coming talent. We joke about Jesse Lingard. Uh, it's heading into what should be his peak years as a professional footballer. And it breaks my heart to say this, but I think his time at Chelsea is over. And if the loan was to go well, then of course you couldn't say, let's not give him a chance because that'd be absolutely insane. But how many loans, how many chances before we have to admit and just go, it's not going to happen. I think the injury with the Achilles that robbed him of pretty much a whole year, that absolutely destroyed a big, it, it, it was a horrific injury to suffer. Do you think he's going to get a chance at Chelsea? Do you think he's going to fulfil that potential? Or do you think it's almost,
1: no, It's it's gone? No, I'm, I agree completely with you. I think it's inevitable now that mm. he will leave permanently at some stage. It's such a shame because he was on such an upward curve when that yeah. injury hit in such a pointless game at the end of the season. And that, he's never really recovered. When you look at how Hudson Odoi uh, has recovered to to the point where he is, I just think Loftus-Cheek never got that that burst of power back that he used to have. He still has it in in moments in games. You can see that it used to be there, but he really struggles now to link it all together for an entire season. He had good spells at Fulham, season mm-hmm. just gone, but never consecutive games enough to For people to think, yeah, he he could come back into the Chelsea first team. I think this will be a lone move away, one last hope for probably the club and for him before we part ways permanently next summer.
0: Yeah, I mean, we all know he got, you know, he agreed a new deal, but he didn't, he literally was ruled out of action from May of 2019 till June of last year, a whole year out of football. And, you know, I know what the friendly was for. Um, And it was for a good reason. Can't knock that. But at the, the time of it, and the fact I think because of it was such a severe, severe injury, it's it has sadly I think it sadly robbed him of his chance at, Ch- at Chelsea. And you know everyone knows how much I go on about the NFL. And it's also very big in the NBA. Achilles injuries are career wreckers. They are career wreckers. If you come back, round of applause because that is an amazing accomplishment. And we did an episode a while back on Achilles it's surgery and injuries. And check that out, listen, it's quite interesting um it's it, i will have to, fingers crossed that's all i keep hoping that he does get that chance um we were going to do uh, a new bit of a segment which was taking a look in the mailbag because you have been sending some questions but don't worry there is a spreadsheet i've noted all these questions down and they will be answered obviously we're going to do that when we're a trio so it's just to get that flow of conversation going but you know obviously that's the end of another episode about the bridge pod so we're going to do a social media plug and where can we be found where's your blog at
1: uh so my personal twitter is at chris 9 adams and you can find the blog which will be updated again this week now i've come back off holiday at pitch pundits
0: and we could have asked that in the personal
1: life bit how was your holiday we could have so i quickly was, was do it how was it yeah it was fine it was a standard staycation
0: <laughs> oh it was it was in the on the green list where can we go well we can go to iceland or the uk well we'll stay in the uk then
1: yeah exactly
0: (laughs) yeah oh well you can find myself on twitter and instagram as that red-haired dude but for all things at the bridge pod you can find us on the usual social media channels facebook twitter youtube and instagram by searching for at the bridge pod drop us that like a follow keep up to date on all things chelsea and of course if you are listening on apple Podcasts, then leaving us that five star review really helps us out and builds our community so till next time listeners that is us signing off